Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. Thanks for checking out the Blissful Prospecting Podcast. This podcast is for sales reps and sales leaders who love landing big meetings with their prospects but hate when their team has to send hundreds of cold emails that never get responses and very few meetings booked. So if you've ever been in that situation with your team before, you're definitely listening to the right podcast. Today is a part of our leadership series and I'm talking to Alex Newman, who runs a consulting company working with some of the top you know, SaaS and tech companies in uh, the world. And we're going to talk about how to identify why revenue is stalling. Hey, what's going on? So one of the things that I encounter a lot when I'm working with companies is there's a lot of things going on, especially from an outbound standpoint. And it can be hard to kind of identify where revenue is stalling, especially when you look at it from more of a sales organization standpoint and the entire company and the sales motion versus looking at the individuals and how they might be cold calling or cold emailing, for example. And one of the things that I'm going to talk to Alex about today is how to identify some of the areas where revenue you know, might be stalling. So we're going to talk about a list of things that you can go through and look at as a sales leader to pinpoint some of the areas that might be the cause of a stall in growth if you're experiencing that. So specifically, we're going to dig into five areas. And the reason why I wanted to get Alex on the show, by the way, is he's been a part of Techstars. He's a mentor there. He's been a founder, COO, VP of sales, director. He's been in the sales role and they work with some really awesome companies and he's typically working more on the org level with the sales leader. So I want to bring him in for his expertise. And we're going to talk about one, the reason why transparency is really important within your organization and the lack of transparency that he sees in a lot of the audits that he does. We're going to talk about time management and the opportunity you have as a sales leader to really take control of your time and be proactive about the things that you're working on. We're going to talk about the importance of coaching and how we see a big lack of coaching where there are entire sales managers, you know, teams of sales managers that do almost no coaching and why that's a problem and how to prioritize it. Fourth thing we're going to talk about is prioritization. So how you can prioritize your time and how you can help your team prioritize their time. And then lastly, communication. So what's the best, most effective way to communicate within the org as well? Before we get to the episode, a couple quick things. So one, if you're here, obviously you know about the free stuff that we're offering, right? We got our podcast you're listening to. I'm posting content daily on LinkedIn. So make sure to check out that stuff. Subscribe to the podcast if you're not. And if you're looking for a little bit more help, so if you're a sales leader looking for some help with your team, we have an accelerator program. So we've worked with companies as large as Zoom and companies as small as ones with two or three BDRs and everywhere in between. So if you're looking for help accelerating your outbound results and really getting a structure in place, getting your team motivated, getting them on the same page, getting them more confident on the phones and with their emails, make sure to check out blissfulprospecting.com or you can email me at jason at blissfulprospecting.com and ask about the accelerator. If you're a rep, we have boot camps. You will not find any better content out there on how to tactically prospect as a rep. We have some really cool boot camps where you can get some feedback personally from me, get access to a course. And again, we have some really cool reps and people from some really cool companies participating. So check those two things out at blissfulprospecting.com or email me at jason at blissfulprospecting.com. And if those things aren't a good fit right now, keep tuning in for the podcast. We'll keep the free content coming as well. Let's get to the interview. Hey, 
So I got to ask you, because I've been asking a lot of people this lately. What was your favorite childhood breakfast? What did you eat when you were a kid? What did I want to eat or what did I actually get to eat? Uh, I always wanted all the sugary cereal, like uh, frosted mini wheats and cocoa pebbles and uh, Fruit Loops, all that kind of jazz. But um, it was more of like toast and eggs, like pretty basic, which is funny because now like coming full circle, like that's what I like to eat now because I want the protein of the eggs. But I, I don't know, as a kid, I always wanted the sugary cereal and my parents they don't like spicy food. They don't like tons of like spice in their food. So in general, growing up, it was fairly bland kind of food. It's funny. No, that's interesting because the breakfast that you ate, it was a big deal if my, you know, my mom or dad, my dad never cooked, but if my mom made eggs in the morning, that was kind of a big deal. But yeah, we ate the sugary cereals. I'm glad you said frosted mini weeds too, because there are some people that are just animals that eat mini weeds without the frosting on it. I don't get like, it. How do you yeah, it yeah, doesn't make any sense, dude. Not. <laughs> or like that, like on my birthday, I got to have cinnamon toast crunch. I thought that was like the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, more sugar than ever, right? Yeah. Let's talk about how you got into sales because you're you've spent a lot of time in tech. But if I did my research correctly, you started out as a banker at Wells Fargo. So how, how did that happen? And then how did you end up getting into tech sales? Yeah. So it actually started even before that. So my, my uncle owns a, a business in Chicago called Victory Auto Records. It's like a, a junkyard. And I kind of grew up in the sales world of kind of haggling and negotiating around car parts and like junkyard parts. And um, funny world, he owns a alpaca ranch in New Mexico. So I used to go there. And we had a store and we'd sell the alpacas and sell all the different things. So I just kind of became a little bit into the sales world. And as a summer job, I uh, was looking for something. I was, I want to say like mid high school. And I worked at a restaurant as a host for about three or four days. And I was like, there's, there's got to be a better way. Um, I couldn't do it anymore. And ended up taking a job selling Cutco knives. And actually ended up doing Cutco for a couple summers, ended up becoming assistant manager. Uh, so I did, I was actually one of the kids that actually did well at it, did it in college. And then um, yeah, straight out of school, I did uh, banking in, in Wells Fargo and worked my way up and just didn't love the public world. Um, I didn't love public companies. And then um, I've always been a fan of technology, didn't really know what tech meant. So I ended up falling into telecom. So it was like custom auto video solutions, phone systems, and like computer telephony was like just starting to become a thing. And I did really well there. And I ended up getting my MBA uh, in Colorado. And some friends put me in touch with uh, the founder of a company called Pivotdesk. He was just getting started. He was going through something called Techstars. And uh, he was doing something called Airbnb for office space. I said, what the hell is Airbnb? What the hell is Techstars? I learned what it does. I fell into it and I loved it. And I've kind of been there ever since. So the stuff that you were doing with your uncle in the junkyard sales, did you know that that was sales that you were doing then? Or was it something that you just kind of did because that's that's what you Yeah, did? I knew. Um, he he had a quote all the time. He, used to, he tells me all the time. He goes, uh, once you learn how to sell, you'll never go hungry. And always have a job. You'll always be able to make money. Uh, so you could cut up parts and, and sell the parts. You could also sell like just, just cars in general, like used cars. So I knew there was a lot of haggling, a lot of price negotiation. It was like high intensity. There was like a pit where you, it was like customer versus, versus employee. And you just like haggled on the price and 
it was fun. It was, I mean, it was a, that was a learning right there. That there's your master's degree <laughs> in sales. It's interesting. The haggling, it's really funny to see people kind of go at it like that with a salesperson because there's this barrier that's been kind of like lowered of this weird dynamic that sometimes happens between salespeople and other normal human beings, I guess, <laughs> buying stuff. And it's this like lack of confrontation that people want to get into and the salesperson doesn't want to be too pitchy or the other person's feeling pitched versus two people just being like, you know what? I'm going to be totally open about what I want from Alex right now and the fact that I only want to pay 60% of what he's asking for. And then you're going to come back at me and be like, I can't run a business that way. And it makes you wonder how you can kind of replicate some of that in a B2B setting where people are being totally blunt and honest with each other. Well, uh, I mean, this is 20 plus years ago and the internet was just kind of becoming a thing. And I think one of the biggest things is just like the access to information is completely changed and your buyers just, they, they kind of had to take your word for whatever you had to say. And you could, you could kind of trick them. You could say really what you wanted to say in the case of selling junk parts is you're on our property in front of a, and you're holding a door or you're holding the part, like you either want it or you don't type of thing. So it's a little bit more uh, transactional, more kind of ego versus ego and see what kind of angles you can get to. I think nowadays you're looking at it and I think it changes based on price. I mean, probably average order was a few hundred bucks then. I mean, I'm selling things that are hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars in contracts. I mean, you got, I don't know, 10, 12 people who are making a decision and all have their own angle and they all care about it in their own way. And it's, you know, it's another tool or another software, another implementation that they got to figure out how to make sense. So I think the transparency nowadays is the piece that like completely changes. Like if I would have been super transparent back then, I probably would have gotten crushed. But nowadays, like if, you, if you're not transparent, like people almost kind of think like, what's the catch? What are you hiding from me? Like, what are you not telling? Because I can go and I can talk to your competitors. I can find reviews. I can find all this information online that people are willing to share and post publicly. That never happened before. Yeah. You bring up such a good point. One thing that I talk about a lot when I'm training people is the fact that your prospects bring in this baggage from other interactions they have with salespeople, like into that cold call. And the same thing happens in sales with what you're saying, where these people have had all these bad experiences with committing hundreds of thousands of dollars and putting their job on the line just to get burned by someone. So I think that's a really important thing to understand. And I want to focus on this transparency. It's a little bit of a different angle, but I like this theme of, you know, how do we identify as a sales leader or the sales leadership team where revenue is stalling and why it's stalling? If we explore that from a transparency angle, is there anything that you see in the audits that you do, in the companies that you work with that is missing from a transparency angle or that, or that is an opportunity to be more transparent? Well, so there's a, there's a bunch of places that, that I look. One of the first things is that I look at kind of your first line leadership. And then I also look at kind of your top line leadership and you try to look at the differences. Personalities obviously can completely change. Styles can completely change. But one of the things is companies will go as leadership goes, as the CEO goes, as your executive leadership goes. And if people feel like they're not fully communicated to you, if they don't really know what's going on, if they don't have direction, perception is reality. 
And what ends up happening, whether they consciously know it or not, like that trickle down effect goes into your front level managers. And so all of a sudden, the front level managers are not telling certain things to kind of your individual contributors and to their team. And they make assumptions or uh, and nowadays everything's remote. So they just shut off communication. And you really have to focus on that over communication to make sure that doesn't happen. So I think transparency can go in a lot of different ways from just like, what is your direction? What's your strategies? Like, give me actual feedback about what I'm doing. Everybody these days is so worried about saying the wrong thing or confrontation where it's, I'm not trying to fight with you. I'm trying to actually help you do your job better in order to be able to improve we can make more money. The company does better. Like everything's better, but everyone's so worried about themselves or how it looks to them or that perception that they they almost kind of go, no, nah, you're doing a good job or just keep doing what you're doing. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's you're fired or you've been completely doing the wrong thing. So I, I think a lot of it, I look at the front level or the, the frontline managers, but then I look at the top and I go, hey, you guys lead by example. Whether you say it or not, like you guys lead by example in, in general, and you can just have conversations and you can hear. It's kind of like in that white noise and what the things that they don't say, how they interact with you, how they respond to you, like eye to eye contact. Like, do they respond with five words? Or do they respond with no, but an actual like explanation on how to coach people and get better versus just getting upset? So, a lot of it has to do with just the people itself and like their personalities and, and trying to break down some of those walls. Let's dig into that. I love the angle that you're taking here with the transparency internally within the company and the sales org. You mentioned something that I see a lot and it's this director or VP or chief revenue officer working with their team and giving very little coaching and training to the frontline managers. This is something we've talked about, I think a few conversations now actually, and it's something I see in almost every client that I work with, is a complete lack of any playbook or ongoing development for the people that are managing you know, the reps. And the, what do you think that is? Why do you think that that's missing? And it seems like the director VP role, no, no offense to people in those roles, it's the people I deal with and when I sell, there seems to be this very numbers oriented approach to stuff and they don't really get very tactical or hands-on with the managers in most cases. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with a huge focus around like, what is the, what's the what? Like, I need to hit a million dollars in revenue. Maybe there's a little bit of the why, but then there's almost never how. And that's the part that reps, I think, fundamentally understand the what. Like, that makes sense. I need to go hit this number. I need to do these activities. Sales leaders and managers, directors, like, they need to do certain things. But when they actually sit down and go, how on earth am I going to do this and do it effectively? And how do I even know if I'm any good at it? Because most of them don't get any training as a, as a leader anyways. That's where they just go, you know what? This is uncomfortable. I don't want to put myself in a place where I could look bad. So they don't do it. That how is so, so important. How do you coach a call? How do you run a pipeline meeting? How do you have a, a, an overall communication with your team on a day in or day out, kind of week in, week in type, type basis, 
And a lot of times they just kind of struggle and they pull away from that. And then if you combine that with time management and expectations, they're sales recruiters, they're managers, they're sellers, they're forecasters, they're you know finance extraordinaires, they're trainers, they're onboarders, they're tool adoption and implementation. And like the, you get pulled in all these directions and with so many things, people will always vibe with the things that they feel like they're the strongest at, and they're just going to deprioritize other things. And what ends up happening is, is people go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's on my list. I know we need to get there. I just don't have enough time. And so when you look at it, you can look at sales leaders and you look at directors and go, help me understand how you prioritize your time. And you look at what their calendar looks like, what their next week, next two weeks calendar looks like. You can tell a lot by kind of what they're doing and what they're not doing and why the team is struggling or succeeding. There's almost this inherent shame when I am coaching managers or a director. I don't coach any VPs or, or C-level folks. There's almost this inherent shame in showing their calendar. I feel a lot of resistance when I, I have to really talk to them about why I, I want to see it. And the fact that I'm not trying to micromanage and I'm not trying to control yet. I, I'm really curious, what are you spending your time on? And I don't know about you, Alex, what I see usually is a lot of white space on the calendar that's being filled with whatever comes up during the day in that moment for them. There's not a lot of proactive planning. I mean, I would say that I talk about time management at least once a week with my clients, at least. Uh, we talk about time management, prioritization. I call it time boxing. Some people call it time blocking. I think of it like when you look at Google Calendar, there's like a little box. That's why I call it time boxing. But I, I look at it and go, do you actually have control of your week? And is there any like reflection at the end of the week to go, did I actually get what I wanted to get done? Did I actually move anything along or was I just kind of reactive to everything coming my way? And I think there is a little bit of sales management, sales directors, even the VP level that they're just they kind of look at it and go, I'm here to try to help these reps do their job better. So my job is to just like clear my calendar so that I can be available at any point in time. When in reality, that's you need to be available, but you need to be like prioritized and strategic with your time so that you can do the things that actually move the business forward, provide the training in more of a structured way as opposed to this like ad hoc thing all of the time. It's just, it's not going to work for anybody. Yeah, it's it comes back to I don't know if it was Stephen Covey or someone else. It's the four quadrants, man. It's it's making time for the not urgent, the highly important activities. Let's dig into this a little bit with time management. I'm curious for the work that you do as sales leaders. What are do you have a philosophy around time management? What are some of the basic maybe principles, and what are some of the, what's some advice that you have for people around how they should structure their week and attack their week as a sales leader? Well, so the first thing that I always do is actually run through an exercise around role clarity. So I want to understand how they think their role is supposed to be or should be. But we also talk to their leadership. What do people say, by the way, when you ask them what their role should be? Um, you, <laughs> it's not like people get a job description usually when they get promoted yeah. to a director. <laughs> um, a lot of it is just like I'm supposed to help the sales team sell more or I'm supposed to be a trainer or something. I, I, I'm the manager, which I think management's kind of like babysitting. I don't like management. I'm more of a leader when you can kind of lead by example, try to unbottleneck yourself. But yeah, you'll uh, you hear all kinds of funky things about what people think they're supposed to do. It's wild. But 
as far as time management goes, time blocking goes, I mean, I start with role clarity. We talk a lot about the things like, what are they really strong at and what are they weak at? And I, I tie it to, and this is something that I've been doing probably last four or five, six months. When I talk about a strength, I actually talk about what gives you energy. And when I talk about a weakness, I talk about what drains you. So for example, like if I build a deck, I hate building decks. It's terrible. It's exhausting. I flip back and forth to a million, anything else that I could work on. But like once I'm in the deck and I'm giving the presentation and I'm interacting with somebody, I could literally talk all day long and I'm like laser focused. So I know like, what can I do? What can I focus on for myself? Maybe what can I delegate? That can depend on how you structure your team. What are your, what's the support look like? I mean, nowadays there's sales ops teams, there's revenue ops teams, you have marketing teams, you have all these different teams that can really help you. And some people love that stuff. And some people absolutely hate talking to people. So there's got to be some communication and some working together. So we dig into what is your role, dive into kind of priorities, and then dive into those strengths and weaknesses. And then I look at it and we look at what does your week look like today? What are the top three things that you absolutely have to do? What are your top internal meetings that you cannot cancel for the life of you? Obviously, one-on-ones are very, very critical, and we talk about that as well. But then I look at it and we talk about, are you a morning person or a night person? When are you on the most? And we talk about, we do a little bit of experimenting and say, does it make sense to do the thing that you're, you're weakest at when you're the most on? Does it make sense to do the thing that you're strongest at when you're most on? And so we play with it a little bit. We talk a lot about time boxing and you have flexibility built in. So where's the end date? Have be accountable to those deadlines and say, I need to get this done by next Thursday. Okay. So you have a little bit of room that if you plan it for this Thursday, if something comes up, you can move it to a different part of the week and that's fine. But we talk about controlling your time, controlling your calendar and making sure that you have your North star of, of those few top priorities and not allowing other things to happen and get in the way. We talk a lot about saying no, like you have to say no and you have to prioritize, like help your team know how to prioritize. Cause that's something that all sales reps struggle with. I know that when I was brand new, hell, even today you run around kind of like a chicken without your head sometimes. And you, you kind of take a step back and go, that wasn't my most productive time or my most strategic time. So then the last thing I do is build in reflection, like schedule time to look back at what you've done. I'm a huge fan of a to-do list as well as a to-done list. And then you can actually like optimize over time to make sure that you have the right things going. Yeah. This is a really interesting angle off this. You know, how to identify why revenue is stalling. It's you got to have time and space in your schedule to actually do that deep work. And as a business owner, I mean, you relate with this, it's the time you spend on the business versus in the business is what they say a lot. So role clarity, strengths, weaknesses, top three things. Do you have any examples that you can think of, of like with role clarity, or maybe some of those top three things that was, hey, here's what it is. And then you having to provide some maybe feedback and be like, well, is that really what it is? Or is it more of this? Is there any, just so we can kind of hear some examples of what the contrast might be? So I have a, a client manager is, they, they see themselves as a managing like sales leader, right? And their job is to manage the pipeline. Their job is to kind of hone in on Salesforce, 
Um, their job is to talk about each and every single deal so that they can report up for forecasting purposes. And that's it. They don't do a lot of coaching. They don't do a lot of training. They're not as involved in new onboarding of new, like new sales reps. They don't really think of themselves as any type of sales recruiter and making sure that there's a pipeline of people coming in. And so they're super single-minded because their boss and their, their higher ups are just focused on the numbers, focused on forecasting. And if it's not in Salesforce, it didn't happen. Right. And they're trying just like met, like leading by the numbers or managing by the numbers. And that is it. And they're kind of talking to the reps and say, Hey, you didn't log this activity or you didn't do this, but they're never actually looking at it saying, how can we get the repetitions better instead of just more, 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 more it's, well, look at the actual formula. Like your activity is really good. How come you're not doing this specific thing? Tell me what you're thinking about this angle to focus on some of the conversion rates. So that's like a scenario where they're just always managing by the numbers and they're a little bit removed from their team. Then you can see it at the other end of the spectrum where it's just like they're selling the deals for the reps. Like they're massively in every single deal. And it's almost like, whether you're an SDR or an AE, everybody's an SDR or an appointment setter. And then once that's done, they're just micromanaging and they're selling every single deal. They don't know anything about the numbers. They don't know anything about recruiting. They don't, they're not building a machine. And then what ends up happening is, is they burn out or they're exhausted because they can never take a break. They can never go on vacation because the reps need them for every single thing because they were never trained. And so what you typically find is in the places that need the most help is you'll find a leader or a manager who just like focuses on that one thing that they have any type of confidence around. And there's not this like self-learning, there's not this self-curiosity. I mean, there's almost not a coaching environment in place. I hear a lot and you're, you're probably the same way. I don't have time to coach. Like with everything that I got going on, I don't have time to coach. And I look at it and I go, that's the only thing I have time for. Like figure out how to get everybody to sell stuff and everybody in the company will love you and find support for you in other ways. The thing that I find as well is a lot of initial first time, even sometimes second time sales managers, it's okay to ask for help. Like you don't have to put it on your back every time and do everything yourself. It's okay that you don't know how to do everything perfectly. Like it's okay to ask for help. Dude, I love this, man. It's, I just want to go, amen, preach, brother. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Because again, if we go back to the theme of, you know, why is revenue stalling? We've talked about, you know, lack of transparency. We've talked about the ability to manage your calendar and your time. And there's this third piece around, you know, what we just talked about. And it's this coaching element. And like, dude, if you're not spending at least half your time between one-on-ones, call coaching, deal coaching, whatever it is, what are you doing with that time? That's what I'm really wondering. You know, what, what are you doing with that time? So lack of actual pure coaching time sounds like is another really big thing. I mean, you can look, I'm sure you've done these audits and you look through the entire organization and you can just look at people's calendar, like how, show me where the coaching is happening. And another thing that I like to ask people too is, you know, what are your priorities? And they'll give you two or three things. And you say, hey, let's look at your calendar. And you can say, well, hey, that's really interesting. These three things are the most important things you should be doing, but they represent five hours out of your entire week. 
what's up with that? Yeah, how can we, to what you talked about, do, delegate, defer, whatever it might be, you know, get rid of some of these stuff? I don't think that people are malicious in that. I think they actually believe that they're working on these priorities. And when you point out to say, hey, your priorities and your calendar don't really make sense, that's kind of the like aha moment that I see a lot that go, you're right, I need to change. And then it's how do I make the change? And this is why it's so important to have coaches. I mean, I have coaches too that point out this type of stuff. I make these silly mistakes like this all the time too. <laughs> so. yeah, of course, everybody does. Yeah. And that's okay. Like everybody makes mistakes. I mean, you look at it and you have these processes and you follow them day in and day out. What happens if you're not feeling like it that day? Or what happens if you're not feeling great? Or what happens if you want to take a day off? Like there is, yes, five days a week, eight to five, nine to six, whatever it is. Like, should you follow as much as you can? Sure. Like now, nowadays, like schedules are getting to the point where people are working like, I don't know, what is it? Like three or four hours extra every single day or every single week. Like it's getting to the point where it's, we need to take back control. We need to be able to understand what are our priorities. And most importantly, we need to hold ourselves accountable to this. Let's stop trying to do a thousand things. I remember my first company, I worked a hundred hours a week for four and a half years. And eventually I ran out of gas. <laughs> Shocking. But you look at it and you go, what are the top priorities? Because it's just like you're doing stuff. And when you do a lot of stuff, you know what happens? You create a lot of other stuff to do. Like focus on your number one priorities and understand that you're going to say no to other things. Delegate what you can and help the people who work with you, who work as your direct reports, help them know what to prioritize. At the end of the day, it's about growing. It's about the company making some revenue. Like that's what it's about. Does every single thing have to be perfect? No, that's okay. Like we're human. And it's like not okay to talk about that, I guess. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point around prioritization too. And there's a really powerful story. I think it was made to stick maybe. I can't remember what book it was, but they talked about Southwest Airlines. And there was a big meeting with the C-suite and they talked about whether or not they should upgrade the meals on the airplane. And the CEO as a woman, I think at the time was like, no, we shouldn't because our mission, our commander's intent was the, was the point. Our commander's intent is to be the most affordable way to fly. Does that help us become the most affordable way to fly? Yes or no? And you kind of run through these filters. Does this align with my top three priorities? Yes or no? If it's not, that's not on the list of things to do right now. And I think you mentioned something really important too. I want your feedback on is how important do you think it is as a leader also to respect and allow a manager or someone below you, if you're a VP, let's say to push back and say, actually, we talked about these being my priorities and this doesn't fit. Like I have to say no to like, how important is that kind of relationship where a, an executive will be respectful of the priorities and try to be mindful of not overloading their team with a bunch of busy work? Well, not, now you're getting in the week, not, now you're getting into this. Like this is like people relationships and people management and it's do as I say, not as I do type of thing or I told you to do this and I don't understand why you're not doing this. Like you should create a company where everyone can work freely and you want to create a system with a North star of a goal. And so often I see these leaders say, Hey, I told them to do this and they're not doing it. I said, well, 
tell me about the last couple of asks that you've also had them do and how should they be prioritizing it? And you look at the, the, the person who was asked and they have a laundry list of asks from this person and they have no idea what to do first. And it's either I'm going to do the first one that they told me, or I'm going to do the last one that they told me, but there's no, it, it's almost like the leaders aren't open to understanding the role. And I look at it and I go, but you were that role weeks ago, months ago, years ago, like all the CEOs and all the VPs, like they were all sales reps at some point in time. Like they were all managers, first time managers at some point in time. And so just kind of like in sales, when you have to put yourself in the prospect shoes, like your employees, your sales reps, your sales leaders, they're your customers as your CEO, your, your, you know, your top line executives, and you have to put yourself in their shoes, help them. So an easy way to answer your question is, is absolutely you should push back, but you can push back in a fairly professional way and help you understand. So a lot of times we, we coach a lot of the first time managers, second time managers. It's not about saying, no, I'm not going to do that, but help me understand how does this fit into the, my own priorities? When we first talked about it, you said that one through five is my priorities. Now you're throwing these other three things in. Can you help me understand how do I actually prioritize this? What are you looking for? You're setting expectations both ways. And while you're doing it, you're getting further clarification. You're getting further communication. And you're ultimately building a trust factor between the two people versus this just like barking orders and order taker type thing. Yeah, I love this. And you mentioned that North Star that's essentially your job as a leader is to get everyone pointed in the right direction and let them know what the goal is, that commander's intent that we brought up earlier. And everything else, you allow for autonomy to happen that way, where it's like, hey, you got these two or three priorities. The way you go about doing this is really up to you, but here's what we need to accomplish. And it's kind of interesting, growing a sales org is so much bigger than sales. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like sales is just kind of a small part of it, actually. It's how does the team work together and communicate? How do things get passed down? Are you training, coaching, all this other stuff? I look at just through the outbound prospecting lens. Outbound's pretty simple. It's not this crazy feat that we're doing. But people need a structure. They need to be trained on it. They need ongoing coaching. They need to be held accountable. They need motivation. <laughs> you know, like all of these other things outside of the what does the email say? What do you say in the cold call kind of thing? No, I mean, a lot of it is communication, even like across department lines. How do we all work together? You know, there's, it, it should never be a marketing and sales versus product and delivery. What does the communication loop look like? How do we, how do we keep talking to each other? When do subject matter experts get involved in sales processes? Are we, are we going after our goals? Are we achieving them? Are we holding ourselves accountable? One of the big ones that I talk about a lot is what does good look like? And did we do it? Like, are we meeting that? What does good look like individually? But how about the conversation about what does good look like for the org, for a specific department, about how two departments actually work together? Like there's a lot of that going on. Like when you're a, a individual contributor, it's a little bit more straightforward. But when you get into ma management, 
like you have to work across party lines, if you want to call it that, is to say, like, everybody needs each other. It's not me versus you. It's we're in this together. Like, if we actually build this together and move the ship together, all these problems start to go away. It's kind of like when you're playing sports and everybody's winning. You don't really notice all the problems. Same problems exist when you're losing. They just are magnified 10 times. Yeah, and people are being really critical of them. Let's talk about communication. So this is something I'm really big on and how people communicate something that's urgent versus non-urgent is, is an example of something I think about a lot. And one of the things that I work with managers on especially is because they're basically Slack jockeys. They're on Slack the entire day getting pinged with stuff that's not urgent at all. And they don't have some sort of filter for their reps to communicate stuff that's a nice to have by the end of the week versus hey, if I could get this by the end of the day, that'd be great versus I need this right now. Do you think about that at all in the work that you do in terms of how do leaders communicate with reps and vice versa across the department? Is there any kind of you know rules, I guess, in place or standard operating procedures in terms of how we communicate? Um, I mean, I look at it and you kind of have like a communication framework. Sometimes I even have like a decision-making framework. If you make this decision, like, will it kill the company or is it reversible? Like, does it cost 10 bucks or, you know, does it cost a million dollars? It's the same thing that goes for communication. Like, think it through. Kind of same idea as when you get that, like, email that or that Slack that really bothers you and you want to emotionally just, like, respond right back. It's like, take a minute, like, think it all the way through and then, you know, respond appropriately. I think it's important at different levels, uh, but it seems to have a lot of similarities around the people who are your direct reports. Everything seems to come as a fire. And it's your job as the leader to kind of set expectations and have your demeanor help them like calm their nerves. There are different types of personalities in companies, especially in sales. Some people are more extroverted, introverted, like handle different things. Now they have, you know, everyone's working from home. So it's, you know, what's your personal life look at, look like, or kids, pets, whatever, screaming downstairs. And you look at that and have a framework that says, you know, how do you make the decision? Can you make it on your own? Is it reversible if you make it on your own? I talk a lot about impact. So like, what is the impact of the communication look like? What is the importance of speed here? Like we were able to say like, hey, this is an SOS message, like raise red flags, scream as loud as you can. And like, if that's what it warrants, go ahead for it, but be careful. And so if you kind of give the framework to say, hey, there's, there's three levels, or there's five levels, depending on how you want to look at it inside your company, you can say like, this is kind of a low level, this can wait, this is a medium level where I'd like you to get back to me by the end of the day or within the next week and communicate a full kind of thought process. And then there's like high level where it's like all hands on deck, I need you to drop what you're doing and run. And then there's, you know, you can have different kind of letters in between. But if you look at that and you talk about how the company communicates, you start to put together a system where everything's not a fire sale. Like everything's not urgent, right? I mean, I, you look at some companies and what's urgent? Everything's urgent, what means nothing's urgent. And so it's helping people understand how to prioritize, I think is such a big thing. And then once you figure that out, it helps you with communication. And then it always comes back to like, 
reinforcing that message over and over and over and over again, especially to the new people. Because today you talk to the to your team and it's 50 or 100 people. And then all of a sudden that you, you know, in six months from now, like you can't be like, oh, we did that already. Like you have 30 new people on your team. Like they don't know about it and don't bury it inside of some Slack channel because no one's ever going to find that again. Do you have a dog or have you had a dog before? Yeah, I grew up with dogs. Yeah, it's and not to compare your reps to animals or anything. I don't mean it in that way, but you know, training a puppy is you have to catch them doing the right thing in the moment. It requires so much discipline. And even our dog's almost three years old now. And still there's the he's got some bad habits and you could just let it slide or you could spend a week or two being really, really diligent and it'll really pay off in the long term. And it's the same kind of thing here where I was uh, the analogy that was shared with me as a sales manager was uh, the home run analogy. It's a focus on it for a week. You hit a single two weeks, double, et cetera. So it's like, if you're really pushing something in the org, focus on it for four weeks for a month. If you're really diligent about it, it becomes pretty good habit, you know, for most people, but you're going to feel like you're beating a dead horse. And what's the ownership and what's the accountability, right? Depending on what that thing is. Like, it's not a, I posted it in Slack and it's out of my hands. And I don't understand why people aren't doing it. Um, help them understand. So a lot of times if you're not in sales and you're not in engineering, maybe you're in an operations type role, it's, well, I gave you the dashboard that you're looking, that you asked for, but now you're never looking at it. It's like, well, help them understand. Maybe they're not looking at it right. Maybe they don't know how to look at it. Maybe they don't have the time. Maybe they're they're worried about asking you because they, they, they might feel stupid. And so you, you want to be able to look at some of this communication and hold people accountable, but also, and this is just my personality and I tell people this, I will always drop my walls before you are going to drop your walls because I know that I have the confidence in myself that I'm going to put myself out there and then that's going to help you drop your walls. I always tell salespeople, people have their guard up. Doesn't matter if you're in sales, marketing, ops, engineering, does not matter. People on the street, like you're always going to have your walls up. You drop your wall first, you drop your guard first, and then all of a sudden you can have like real actual conversations. And now we're circling all the way back to that transparency piece that we talked about is like, that's how you can like get to the point where it's not, we're just employees and we're like, plugging the little button in our company. Like now we're building something that's meaningful and impactful, but we're doing it together with people that we actually enjoy working with. Yeah, dude, I love that. One last question around transparency then is to kind of put a button on everything. For a company that does want to create a more transparent internal culture and have more real conversations, is there anything you recommend that they do? I would say talk about it, like talk about like what you're trying to accomplish and why you're trying to accomplish it and be the first one that takes the step and don't do it one time, do it consistently. Um, hold yourself accountable to it. I talk to a lot of leaders and I talk about this and they go, I totally get it. Like that makes sense. Like next week or next month, or they announce it in Slack that we're becoming this coaching environment company or something. And then that's like the last that you ever hear about it. And then you talk to them about it six weeks later and they're like, ah, I ran out of time or I know I need to do that. And it's like, right now you're packed full of your day. Like something has to drop in order for something new to be added. 
What's the thing that's going to drop? How are you going to prioritize this? Are you going to be accountable? And if you're not, like, don't bring it up. If you're not going to do it, like, stop changing stuff, like, kind of a half-assed motion. That's where I would start. It's simple. The advice you shared today is so powerful, yet simple. And I mean that in the, in the best way possible. It's pretty straightforward when you do it. It's doing it and having the discipline. And I make a lot of comparisons with just personal fitness. It's like, dude, I think everyone knows they should be more active and probably eat less shit. You know, pretty much everyone knows that. Uh, making that happen on a daily basis is, uh, is pretty tough, you know, like, like a lot of these things. So uh, this is awesome, man. How, how can people connect with you? You're pretty active on LinkedIn these days as well, but how can people connect with you, follow you, check out your work? What type of clients do you work with? All that good stuff. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn, Alex Newman is, uh, I, I post every day or five days a week. I'm starting to look at uh, the weekends. Um, and alexnewman.com uh, with two ends at the end of Newman um, is kind of where I, I post things. I got a, a course, a startup sales playbook course up there, um, which a lot of people love. I'm not super active on, on the other channels, at least yet. I'm just uh, focused on LinkedIn. So sales tips, advice, uh, interact with me there, follow me there. That's, uh, that's the best place. That was a really fun interview. One of the big things that we talked about that I am a really big fan of is this coaching piece. And you gotta find a way if you're not, you gotta at least be spending a third of your time coaching and working with your reps. So instead of thinking what I find really helpful and one of my big takeaways is instead of thinking about how can we make time for coaching, it's if we prioritize coaching, how do we make time for the other stuff? The other stuff should fit around the time that you're spending in one-on-ones, call coaching, doing opportunity reviews, helping people do account planning, helping them select accounts, whatever it might be, you gotta make time for coaching. So thanks for tuning in today. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your team if they don't already have access to it. We put episodes out every Tuesday and Thursday. And if you're looking for help coaching your team and getting your team to produce better results from their outbound prospecting efforts, give me a shout at blissfulprospecting.com or email me at jason at blissfulprospecting.com. I'd love to help you out. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.